Chapter 13 of Thrilling Narratives of Mutiny, Murder, and Piracy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary Maxwell. Thrilling Narratives of Mutiny, Murder, and Piracy by Anonymous. Chapter 13 Wreck of the French Frigate Medusa on the Arguin Bank part two let us now turn our attention to the several situations of all those who were endeavoring to save themselves in the different boats as well as to those left upon the wreck of the medusa we have already seen that the frigate was half sunk when it was deserted presenting nothing but a hulk and wreck nevertheless seventeen still remained upon it and had food which although damaged enabled them to support themselves for a considerable time while the raft was abandoned to float at the mercy of the waves upon the vast surface of the ocean. One hundred and fifty wretches were embarked upon it, sunk to the depth of at least three feet on its forepart, and on its poop immersed even to the middle. What victuals they had were soon consumed, or spoiled by the salt water, and perhaps some, as the waves hurried them along, became food for the monsters of the deep. Two only of all the boats which left the Medusa, and these with very few people in them, were provisioned with every necessary. These struck off with security and dispatch, but the condition of those who were in the shallop was but little better than those upon the raft. Their great number, their scarcity of provisions, their great distance from the shore, gave them the most melancholy anticipations of the future. Their worthy commander, M. Espew, had no other hope but of reaching the shore as soon as possible. The other boats were less filled with people, but they were scarcely better provisioned, and as by a species of fatality, the pinnace, in which were our family, was destitute of everything. Our provisions consisted of a barrel of biscuit and a tierce of water, and, to add to our misfortune, the biscuit being soaked in the sea, it was almost impossible to swallow one morsel of it. Each passenger in our boat was obliged to sustain his wretched existence with a glass of water, which he could get only once a day. To tell how this happened, how this boat was so poorly supplied, while there was abundance left upon the Medusa, is far beyond my power. But it is at least certain that the greater part of the officers commanding the boats, the shallop, the pinnace, the Senegal boat, and the yawl, were persuaded, when they quitted the frigate, that they would not abandon the raft but that all the expedition would sail together to the coast of Sahara, that when there the boats would be again sent to the Medusa to take provisions, arms, and those who were left there, but it appears the chiefs had decided otherwise. After abandoning the raft, although scattered, all the boats formed a little fleet and followed the same route. All who were sincere hoped to arrive the same day at the coast of the desert, and that everyone would get on shore but Messrs. Schmaltz and Lachamaris gave orders to take the route for Senegal. This sudden change in the resolutions of the chiefs was like a thunderbolt to the officers commanding the boats. Having nothing on board but what was barely necessary to enable us to allay the cravings of hunger for one day, we were all sensibly affected. The other boats, which, like ourselves, hoped to have got on shore at the nearest point, were a little better provisioned than we were, they had at least a little wine, which supplied the place of other necessaries. We then demanded some from them, explaining our situation, but none would assist us, not even the captain, who, drinking to a kept mistress, 
supported by two sailors, swore he had not one drop on board. We were next desirous of addressing the boat of the governor of Senegal, where we were persuaded were plenty of provisions of every kind, such as oranges, biscuit, cakes, comfits, plums, and even the finest liquors. But my father opposed it. So well was he assured we would not obtain anything. We will now turn to the condition of those on the raft, when the boats left them to themselves. If all the boats had continued dragging the raft forward, favored as we were by the breeze from the sea, we would have been able to have conducted them to the shore in less than two days. But an inconceivable fatality caused the generous plan to be abandoned which had been formed. When the raft had lost sight of the boats, a spirit of sedition began to manifest itself in furious cries. They then began to regard one another with ferocious looks, and to thirst for one another's flesh. Someone had already whispered of having recourse to that monstrous extremity, and of commencing with the fattest and youngest. A proposition so atrocious filled the brave Captain Dupont and his worthy Lieutenant M. Lehereux with horror, and that courage which had so often supported them in the field of glory now forsook them. Among the first who fell under the hatchets of the assassins was a young woman who had been seen devouring the body of her husband. When her turn was come, she sought a little wine as a last favor, then rose, and without uttering a word, threw herself into the sea. Captain Dupont, being described for having refused to partake of the sacrilegious viands with which the monsters were feeding on, was saved by a miracle from the hands of the butchers. Scarcely had they seized him to lead him to the slaughter, when a large pole, which served in place of a mast, fell upon his body, and believing that his legs were broken, they contented themselves by throwing him into the sea. The unfortunate captain plunged and disappeared, and they thought him already in another world. Providence, however, revived the strength of the unfortunate warrior. He emerged under the beams of the raft, and clinging with all his might, holding his head above water, he remained between two enormous pieces of wood, while the rest of his body was hid in the sea. After more than two hours of suffering, Captain Dupont spoke in a low voice to his lieutenant, who by chance was seated near the place of his concealment. The brave Leheroux, with eyes glistening with tears, believed he heard the voice, and saw the shade of his captain, and trembling, was about to quit the place of horror. Oh, wonderful! He saw a head which seemed to draw its last sigh. He recognized it. He embraced it. Alas! It was his dear friend. Dupont was instantly drawn from the water, and Leheroux obtained for his unfortunate comrade again a place upon the raft. Those who had been most inveterate against him, touched at what Providence had done for him in so miraculous a manner, decided with one accord to allow him entire liberty upon the raft. The sixty unfortunates who had escaped from the first massacre were soon reduced to fifty, then to forty, and at last to twenty-eight. The least murmur or the smallest complaint at the moment of distributing the provisions was a crime punished with immediate death. In consequence of such a regulation, it may easily be presumed the raft was soon lightened. In the meanwhile, the wine diminished sensibly, and the half-rations very much displeased a certain chief of the conspiracy. On purpose, to avoid being reduced to that extremity, the executive power decided it was much wiser to drown thirteen people and to get full rations than that twenty-eight should have half-rations. Merciful heaven, what a shame! After the last catastrophe, the chiefs of the conspiracy, 
fearing doubtless of being assassinated in their turn threw all the arms into the sea and swore an inviolable friendship with the heroes which the hatchet had spared on the seventeenth of july in the morning captain parnajan commandant of the argus brig still found fifteen men on the raft they were immediately taken on board and conducted to senegal four of the fifteen were yet alive viz captain dupont residing in the neighborhood of maintenanton lieutenant leheru since captain at senegal savigny at rochefort and Coriad, i know not where on the fifth of july at ten in the morning one hour after abandoning the raft and three after quitting the medusa m laperere the officer of our boat made the first distribution of provisions each passenger had a small glass of water and nearly the fourth of a biscuit each drank his allowance of water at one draught but it was found impossible to swallow one morsel of our biscuit it being so impregnated with sea-water it happened however that some was found not quite so saturated of these we eat a small portion and put back the remainder for a future day our voyage would have been sufficiently agreeable if the beams of the sun had not been so fierce on the evening we perceived the shores of the desert but as the two chiefs messrs schmaltz and Larchmaris, wished to go right for senegal notwithstanding we were still one hundred leagues from it we were not allowed to land several officers remonstrated both on account of our want of provisions and the crowded condition of the boats for undertaking so dangerous a voyage others urged with equal force that it would be dishonoring the french name if we were to neglect the unfortunate people on the raft and insisted we should be set on shore and whilst we wait there three boats should return to look after the raft and three to the wreck of the frigate to take up the seventeen who were left there as well as a sufficient quantity of provisions to enable us to go to senegal by way of barbary but messrs schmaltz and lechmaris whose boats were sufficiently well provisioned scouted the advice of their subalterns and ordered them to cast anchor till the following morning they were obliged to obey these orders and to relinquish their designs during the night a certain passenger who was doubtless no doctor and who believed in ghosts and witches was suddenly frightened by the appearance of flames which he thought he saw in the waters of the sea a little way from where our boat was anchored my father and some others who were aware that the sea is sometimes phosphorated confirmed the poor credulous man in his belief and added several circumstances which fairly turned his brain they persuaded him the arabic sorcerers had fired the sea to prevent us from travelling along their deserts on the morning of the sixth of july at five o'clock all the boats were under way on the route to senegal the boats of messrs schmaltz and lachamaris took the lead along the coasts and all the expedition followed about eight several sailors in our boat with threats demanded to be set on shore but m lapierre not acceding to their request the whole were about to revolt and seize the command but the firmness of this officer quelled the mutineers in a spring which he made to seize a firelock which a sailor persisted in keeping in his possession he almost tumbled into the sea my father fortunately was near him and held him by his clothes but he had instantly to quit him for fear of losing his hat which the waves were floating away a short while after this slight accident the shallop which we had lost sight of since the morning appeared desirous of rejoining us we plied all hands to avoid her for we were afraid of one another and thought that that boat encumbered with so many people 
wished to board us to oblige us to take some of its passengers, as M. Espiel would not suffer them to be abandoned like those upon the raft. That officer hailed us at a distance, offering to take our family on board, adding he was anxious to take about sixty people to the desert. The officer of our boat, thinking that this was a pretense, replied we preferred suffering where we were. It even appeared to us that M. Espial had hid some of his people under the benches of the shallop. But alas, in the end we deeply deplored being so suspicious, and of having so outraged the devotion of the most generous officer of the Medusa. Our boat began to leak considerably, but we prevented it as well as we could by stuffing the largest holes with oakum, which an old sailor had had the precaution to take before quitting the frigate. At noon the heat became so strong, so intolerable, that several of us believed we had reached our last moments. The hot winds of the desert even reached us, and the fine sand with which they were loaded had completely obscured the clearness of the atmosphere. The sun presented a reddish disk, the whole surface of the ocean became nebulous, and the air which we breathed, depositing a fine sand, an impalpable powder, penetrated to our lungs, already parched with a burning thirst. In this state of torment we remained till four in the afternoon, when a breeze from the northwest brought us some relief. Notwithstanding the privations we felt, and especially the burning thirst which had become intolerable, the cool air which we now began to breathe made us, in part, forget our sufferings. The heavens began again to resume the usual serenity of those latitudes, and we hoped to have passed a good night. A second distribution of provisions was made. Each received a small glass of water and the eighth part of a biscuit. Notwithstanding our meagre fare, everyone seemed content in the persuasion we would reach Senegal by the morrow. But how vain were all our hopes, and what sufferings had we yet to endure! At half-past seven the sky was covered with stormy clouds. The serenity we had admired a little while before entirely disappeared, and gave place to the most gloomy obscurity. The surface of the ocean presented all the signs of a coming tempest. The horizon on the side of the desert had the appearance of a long, hideous chain of mountains piled on one another, the summits of which seemed to vomit fire and smoke. Bluish clouds streaked with dark copper color detached themselves from that shapeless heap, and came and joined with those which floated over our heads. In less than half an hour the ocean seemed confounded with the terrible sky which canopied us. The stars were hid. Suddenly a frightful noise was heard from the west, and all the waves of the sea rushed to founder our frail bark. A fearful silence succeeded to the general consternation. Every tongue was mute, and none durst communicate to his neighbor the horror with which his mind was impressed. At intervals the cries of the children rent our hearts. At that instant a weeping and agonized mother bared her breast to her dying child, but it yielded nothing to appease the thirst of the little innocent who pressed it in vain. O oh, night of horrors! What pen is capable to paint thy terrible picture? How describe the agonizing fears of a father and mother at the sight of their children tossed about and expiring of hunger in a small boat, which the winds and waves threatened to engulf at every instant? Having full before our eyes the prospect of inevitable death, we gave ourselves up to our unfortunate condition and addressed our prayers to heaven. The winds growled with the utmost fury. The tempestuous waves arose exasperated. 
in their terrific encounter a mountain of water was precipitated into our boat carrying away one of the sails and the greater part of the effects which the sailors had saved from the medusa our bark was nearly sunk the females and the children lay rolling in its bottom drinking the waters of bitterness and their cries mixed with the roaring of the waves and the furious north wind increased the horrors of the scene my unfortunate father then experienced the most excruciating agony of mind the idea of the loss which the shipwreck had occasioned to him and the danger which still menaced all he had held dearest in the world plunged him into a swoon the tenderness of his wife and children recovered him but alas his recovery was to still more bitterly deplore the wretched situation of his family he clasped us to his bosom he bathed us with his tears and seemed as if he was regarding us with his last looks of love every soul in the boat was seized with the same perturbation but it manifested itself in different ways one part of the sailors remained motionless in a bewildered state the other cheered and encouraged one another the children locked in the arms of their parents wept incessantly some demanded drink vomiting the salt water which choked them others in short embraced as for the last time intertwining their arms and vowing to die together in the meanwhile the sea became rougher and rougher the whole surface of the ocean seemed a vast plain furrowed with huge blackish waves fringed with white foam the thunder growled around us and the lightning discovered to our eyes all that our imagination could conceive most horrible our boat beset on all sides by the winds and at every instant tossed on the summit of mountains of water was very nearly sunk in spite of our every effort in bailing it when we discovered a large hole in its poop it was instantly stuffed with everything we could find old clothes sleeves of shirts shreds of coats shawls useless bonnets everything was employed and secured us as far as it was possible during the space of six hours we rode suspended alternately between hope and fear between life and death at last towards the middle of the night heaven which had seen our resignation commanded the floods to be still instantly the sea became less rough the veil which covered the sky became less obscure the stars again shone out and the tempest seemed to withdraw a general exclamation of joy and thankfulness issued at one instant from every mouth the winds calmed and each of us sought a little sleep while our good and generous pilot steered our boat on a still very stormy sea the day at last the day so desired entirely restored the calm but it brought no other consolation during the nights the currents the waves and the winds had taken us so far out to sea that on the dawning of the seventh of july we saw nothing but sky and water without knowing whither to direct our course for our compass had been broken during the tempest in this hopeless condition we continued to steer sometimes to the right sometimes to the left until the sun arose and at last showed us the east on the morning of the seventh of july we again saw the shores of the desert notwithstanding we were a great distance from it the sailors renewed their murmurings wishing to get on shore with the hope of being able to get some wholesome plants and some more palatable water than that of the sea but as we were afraid of the moors their request was opposed however m Lapereire proposed to take them as near as he could to the first breakers on the coast and when there those who wished to go on shore should throw themselves into the sea and swim to land eleven accepted the proposal 
but when we had reached the first waves none had the courage to brave the mountains of water which rolled between them and the beach our sailors then betook themselves to their benches and oars and promised to be more quiet for the future a short while after a third distribution was made since our departure from the medusa and nothing more remained than four pints of water and one half dozen biscuits what steps were we to take in this cruel situation we were desirous of going on shore but we had such dangers to encounter however we soon came to a decision when we saw a caravan of moors on the coast we then stood a little out to sea according to the calculation of our commanding officer we would arrive at senegal on the morrow deceived by that false account we preferred suffering one day more rather than be taken by the moors of the desert or perish among the breakers we had now no more than a small half glass of water and the seventh of a biscuit exposed as we were to the heat of the sun which darted its rays perpendicularly on our heads that ration though small would have been a great relief to us but the distribution was delayed to the morrow we were then obliged to drink the bitter sea-water ill as it was calculated to quench our thirst must i tell it thirst had so withered the lungs of our sailors that they drank water saltier than that of the sea our numbers diminished daily and nothing but the hope of arriving at the colony on the following day sustained our frail existence my young brothers and sisters wept incessantly for water the little laura aged six years lay dying at the feet of her mother her mournful cries so moved the soul of my unfortunate father that he was on the eve of opening a vein to quench the thirst which consumed his child but a wise person opposed his design observing that all the blood in his body would not prolong the life of his infant one moment the freshness of the night wind procured us some respite we anchored pretty near to the shore and though dying of famine each got a tranquil sleep on the morning of the eighth of july at break of day we took the route for senegal a short while after the wind fell and we had a dead calm we endeavored to row but our strength was exhausted a fourth and last distribution was made and in the twinkling of an eye our last resources were consumed we were forty-two people who had to feed upon six biscuits and about four pints of water with no hope of a farther supply then came the moment for deciding whether we were to perish among the breakers which defended the approach to the shores of the desert or to die of famine in continuing our route the majority preferred the last species of misery we continued our progress along the shore painfully pulling our oars upon the beach were distinguished several downs of white sand and some small trees we were thus creeping along the coast observing a mournful silence when a sailor suddenly exclaimed behold the moors we did in fact see various individuals upon the rising ground walking at a quick pace and whom we took to be the arabs of the desert as we were very near the shore we stood farther out to sea fearing that these pretended moors or arabs would throw themselves into the sea swim out and take us some hours after we observed several people upon an eminence who seemed to make signals for us we examined them attentively and soon recognized them to be our companions in misfortune we replied to them by attaching a white handkerchief to the top of our mast then we resolved to land at the risk of perishing among the breakers which were very strong towards the shore although the sea was calm on approaching the beach we went towards the right 
where the waves seemed less agitated, and endeavored to reach it with the hope of being able more easily to land. Scarcely had we directed our course to that point when we perceived a great number of people standing near to a little wood surrounding the sand hills. We recognized them to be the passengers of that boat, which, like ourselves, were deprived of provisions. Meanwhile, we approached the shore, and already the foaming surge filled us with terror. Each wave that came from the open sea, each billow that swept beneath our boat, made us bound into the air, so we were sometimes thrown from the poop to the prow, and from the prow to the poop. Then, if our pilot had missed the sea, we would have been sunk, the waves would have thrown us aground, and we would have been buried among the breakers. The helm of the boat was again given to the old pilot, who had already so happily steered us through the dangers of the storm. He instantly threw into the sea the mast, the sails, and everything that could impede our proceedings. When we came to the first landing point, several of our shipwrecked companions, who had reached the shore, ran and hid themselves behind the hills, not to see us perish. Others made signs not to approach at that place. Some covered their eyes with their hands, others, at last despising the danger, precipitated themselves into the waves to receive us in their arms. We then saw a spectacle that made us shudder. We had already doubled two ranges of breakers, but those which we had still to cross raised their foaming waves to a prodigious height, then sunk with a hollow and monstrous sound, sweeping along a long line of the coast. Our boat, sometimes greatly elevated and sometimes engulfed between the waves, seemed, at the moment, of utter ruin. Bruised, battered, and tossed about on all hands, it turned of itself and refused to obey the kind hand which directed it. At that instant, a huge wave rushed from the open sea and dashed against the poop. The boat plunged, disappeared, and we were all among the waves. Our sailors, whose strength had returned at the presence of danger, redoubled their efforts, uttering mournful sounds. Our bark groaned, the oars were broken, and it was thought aground, but it was stranded, it was upon its side. The last sea rushed upon us with the impetuosity of a torrent. We were all up to the neck in water, the bitter sea froth choked us, the grapnel was thrown out. The sailors threw themselves into the sea, they took the children in their arms, returned, and took us upon their shoulders, and I found myself seated upon the sand on the shore, by the side of my stepmother, my brothers and sisters, almost dead. Every one was upon the beach except my father and some sailors, but that good man arrived at last to mingle his tears with those of his family and friends. Instantly our hearts joined in addressing our prayers and praises to God. I raised my hands to the heaven and remained some time immovable upon the beach. Everyone also hastened to testify his gratitude to our old pilot, who next to God justly merited the title of our preserver. M. Dumege, a naval surgeon, gave him an elegant gold watch, the only thing he had saved from the Medusa. Let the reader now recollect all the perils to which we had been exposed in escaping from the wreck of the frigate to the shores of the desert, all that we had suffered during our four days' voyage, and he will perhaps have a just notion of the various sensations we felt on getting on shore on that strange and savage land. Doubtless the joy we experienced at having escaped, as by a miracle, the fury of the floods was very great, but how much was it lessened by the feelings of our horrible situation? Without water, provisions, and the majority of us nearly naked, 
was it to be wondered at that we should be seized with terror on thinking of the obstacles which we had to surmount the fatigues the privations the pains and sufferings we had to endure with the dangers we had to encounter in the immense and frightful desert we had to traverse before we could arrive at our destination almighty providence it was in thee alone i put my trust after we had a little recovered from the fainting and fatigue of our getting on shore our fellow sufferers told us they had landed in the forenoon and cleared the breakers by the strength of their oars and sails but they had not all been so lucky as we were one unfortunate person too desirous of getting quickly on shore had his legs broken under the shallop and was taken and laid on the beach and left to the care of providence m espieu commander of the shallop reproached us for having doubted him when he wished to board us to take our family along with him it was most true he had landed sixty-three people that day a short while after our refusal he took the passengers of the yawl who would infallibly have perished in the stormy nights of the sixth and the seventh the boat named the senegal commanded by m Medeux, had made the shore at the same time with m espieu the boats of messrs schmaltz and lachemaris were the only ones which continued the route for senegal while nine-tenths of the frenchmen entrusted to these gentlemen were butchering each other on the raft or dying of hunger on the burning sands of sahara about seven in the morning a caravan was formed to penetrate into the interior for the purpose of finding some fresh water we did accordingly find some at a little distance from the sea by digging among the sand everyone instantly flocked round the little wells which furnished enough to quench our thirst this brackish water was found to be delicious although it had a sulphurous taste its color was that of whey as all our clothes were wet and in tatters and as we had nothing to change them some generous officers offered theirs my stepmother my cousin and my sister were dressed in them for myself i preferred keeping my own we remained nearly an hour beside our beneficent fountain then took the route for senegal that is a southerly direction for we did not know exactly where that country lay it was agreed that the females and children should walk before the caravan that they might not be left behind the sailors voluntarily carried the youngest on their shoulders and every one took the route along the coast notwithstanding it was nearly seven o'clock the sand was quite burning and we suffered severely walking without shoes having lost them while landing as soon as we arrived on the shore we went to walk on the wet sand to cool us a little thus we travelled during all the night without encountering anything but shells which wounded our feet on the morning of the ninth we saw an antelope on the top of a little hill which instantly disappeared before we had time to shoot it the desert seemed to our view one immense plain of sand on which was not seen one blade of verdure however we still found water by digging in the sand in the forenoon two officers of marine complained that our family incommoded the progress of the caravan it is true the females and the children could not walk so quickly as the men we walked as fast as it was possible for us nevertheless we often fell behind which obliged them to halt till we came up these officers joined with other individuals considered among themselves whether they would wait for us or to abandon us in the desert i will be bold to say however that but few were of the latter opinion my father being informed of what was plotting against us stepped up to the chiefs of the conspiracy and reproached them in the bitterest terms for their selfishness and brutality the dispute waxed hot 
those who were desirous of leaving us drew their swords and my father put his hand upon a poignard with which he provided himself on quitting the frigate at this scene we threw ourselves in between them conjuring him rather to remain in the desert with his family than seek the assistance of those who were perhaps less human than the moors themselves several people took our part particularly m bernier captain of infantry who quieted the dispute by saying to his soldiers my friends you are frenchmen and i have the honor of being your commander let us never abandon an unfortunate family in the desert so long as we are able to be of use to them this brief but energetic speech caused those to blush who wished to leave us all then joined with the old captain saying that they would not leave us on condition we would walk quicker m bernier and his soldiers replied they did not wish to impose conditions on those to whom they were desirous of doing a favor and the unfortunate family of picard were again on the road with the whole caravan about noon hunger was felt so powerfully among us that it was agreed upon to go to the small hills of sand which were near the coast to see if any herbs could be found fit for eating but we only got poisonous plants among which were various kinds of euphorbium convolvulaceus of a bright green carpeted the downs but on tasting their leaves we found them as bitter as gall the caravan rested in this place while several officers went farther into the interior they came back in about an hour loaded with wild purslane which they distributed to each of us everyone instantly devoured his bunch of herbage without leaving the smallest branch but as our hunger was far from being satisfied with this small allowance the soldiers and sailors betook themselves to look for more they soon brought back a sufficient quantity which was equally distributed and devoured upon the spot so delicious had hunger made that food to us for myself i declare i never eat anything with so much appetite in all my life water was also found in this place but it was of an abominable taste after this truly frugal repast we continued our route the heat was insupportable in the last degree the sands on which we trod were burning nevertheless several of us walked on these scorching coals without shoes and the females had nothing but their hair for a cap when we reached the seashore we all ran and laid down among the waves after remaining there some time we took our route along the wet beach on our journey we met with several large crabs which were of considerable service to us every now and then we endeavored to slake our thirst by sucking their crooked claws about nine at night we halted between two pretty high sand hills after a short talk concerning our misfortunes all seemed desirous of passing the night in this place notwithstanding we heard on every side the roaring of leopards we deliberated on the means of securing ourselves but sleep soon put an end to our fears scarcely had we slumbered a few hours when a terrible roaring of wild beasts awoke us and made us stand on our defense it was a beautiful moonlight night and in spite of my fears and the horrible aspect of the place nature never appeared so sublime to me before instantly something was announced that resembled a lion this information was listened to with the greatest emotion every one being desirous of verifying the truth fixed upon something he thought to be the object one believed he saw the long teeth of the king of the forest another was convinced his mouth was already open to devour us several armed with muskets aimed at the animal and advancing a few steps discovered the pretended lion to be nothing more than a shrub fluctuating in the breeze however the howlings of ferocious beasts had so frightened us 
being yet heard at intervals that we again sought the seashore on purpose to continue our route towards the south some of our companions were desirous of making observations in the interior and they did not go in vain they instantly returned and told us they had seen two arab tents upon a slight rising ground we instantly directed our steps thither we had to pass great downs of sand very slippery and arrived in a large plain streaked here and there with verdure but the turf was so hard and piercing we could scarcely walk over it without wounding our feet our presence in these frightful solitudes put to flight three or four moorish shepherds who herded a small flock of sheep and goats in an oasis at last we arrived at the tents after which we were searching and found in them three morrises and two little children who did not seem in the least frightened by our visit a negro servant belonging to an officer of marine interpreted between us and the good women who when they had heard of our misfortune offered us millet and water for payment we bought a little of that grain at the rate of thirty pence a handful the water was got for three francs a glass it was very good and none grudged the money it cost as a glass of water with a handful of millet was but a poor dinner for famished people my father bought two kids which they would not give him under twenty piastres we immediately killed them and our morrises boiled them in a large kettle while our repast was preparing my father who could not afford the whole of the expense got others to contribute to it but an old officer of marine who was to have been captain of the port of senegal was the only person who refused notwithstanding he had about him nearly three thousand francs which he boasted of in the end several soldiers and sailors had seen him count it in round pieces of gold on coming ashore on the desert and reproached him for his sordid avarice but he seemed insensible to their reproaches nor eat the less of his portion of the kid with his companions in misfortune end of chapter thirteen